Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Of our final series of the year that we are calling The Greatest Promise. And uh, having spoken most of the year about the promises of God, we determined to conclude the year in like fashion, talking about the greatest promise God has ever given to any of us. Of course, that being the promise of a coming Messiah, which we will celebrate in just a few weeks uh, at Christmas. However, uh, we are looking at this promise in a rather unconventional way. Uh, Traditionally, this time of year, you'd look at the New Testament scriptures surrounding the birth of Jesus. Uh, We've determined to not look at the New Testament, but go all the way back into the Old Testament, specifically looking at the lives of some individuals who foreshadowed or prophetically announced the coming Messiah. And the reason we've decided to do the Old Testament instead of the New is because Jesus himself told us that we could do just that. In our key verse for this series, John chapter 5, verse 39, we read the words of Jesus where he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures actually point to me. And as we've reminded ourselves of each week, when Jesus made this statement, he he, he was not referring to the New Testament because it didn't exist yet. It hadn't even been written and some of the authors weren't even saved yet. So when he makes a statement that all of the scripture points to him, he is in fact referring to what we would know as the Old Testament, the law, the Pentateuch, the prophets. And yet he says, if you search all of those other pages in the Old Testament, you cannot help but find that I am located on each and every single one of them. He is the divine Waldo if you will. Anyone remember where's Waldo? Anyone? Okay. I was introduced to Waldo at the dentist office. I don't know about you, but before the days of cell phones, uh, the, you had to read like in the lobby of the dentist office. And uh, if the dentist was cool, they didn't just have magazines for the adults, like people and time. They had stuff for the kids too, like highlights magazine, or I don't remember the name of it. There was a magazine where you had to like cross your eyes to like get the image to kind of pop out. You remember those ones? And then, of course, the greatest of them was Where's Waldo, all right? It was a visually impaired man in a candy cane striped hat and shirt with kind of an emo haircut comb over. And he was hidden in these elaborate scenes. If you were willing to search long enough, you could find Waldo. So the Bible is essentially the adult version of Where's Waldo. There it is, all right? You're welcome. If you search long enough in the scriptures, you will find Jesus on every single page. And so we've done that for the last couple of weeks. We've looked at Jesus as the lamb in the garden in the story of Adam and Eve. He was the ram in the thicket on the mountain with the story of Abraham and Isaac. And then last week, Jazzy showed us that he was the lamb that was slaughtered uh, and his blood painted on the doorposts of the Hebrew homes in Goshen uh, during the time of Moses. Today, we look at yet another Old Testament character whose connection to Christ is, is really unavoidable in scripture. It's one of the most consistent ones we see. Uh, This guy was the author of the majority of the Psalms and a man that scripture calls one after God's own heart. And of course, we're talking about the man, the myth, the legend, David himself. We're going to be talking about David today. And I'll give you a title as we jump in. Uh, Jazzy messed things up last week. She called it Eyes on the Prize. And I had this really great, like, you know, pattern with all of our titles. But as she promised, I resurrect that pattern once again today. Uh, so we've, we've mentioned that there was a lamb in the garden. There's a ram on the mountain. Today, there's a shepherd on the throne. The shepherd on the throne. Doesn't that just feel so much better than Eyes on the Prize? Tell her when you pick up your kids today. It'll be good. <laughs> I'm kidding. It was a great title. Uh, let's pray and we'll jump in. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for all of these, these little nuggets in scripture where we see Jesus and we see your character and your nature displayed. And, and today as we look at uh, the story of David and these connection points between him that, that point us to Christ, I, I pray that we would see Jesus in all of it, that Lord, we would, we, we would open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you'd speak. And as we see you, we would become more like you. For the scriptures say that if we behold you, that we can be transformed into your image. So transform us today before we leave this place in the name of Jesus and the church said, amen, amen. So as I said a moment ago, it is, it is impossible to avoid the connections between Christ and, and David in the scriptures. They're, they're literally everywhere. Uh, both in the Old and the New Testament, he is actually referred to as the son of David. And that isn't because his dad's name was David. His dad's name was Joseph. Well, his dad's name was God, but you get it. Uh, but, but the reason he's called the son of David is because he would come from the bloodline of King David. Uh, in fact, even in the opening line of the first synoptic gospel in Matthew, we read, this is a, a, a story of the ancestry of the Messiah, the son of David. So even from the beginning of the New Testament, we see this connection between the two. And so as I began to study this week and make the connections Old and New Testament, it became a bit challenging to figure out which one of these connections I wanted to unpack because there's so many throughout the scriptures. Uh, I originally was thinking, okay, maybe we'll go with the warrior aspect of David. That he defeated countless enemies. He slew his tens of thousands as they sang of him. And in the same way, Christ was the captain of the Lord's army who defeated death, hell, and the grave on the cross. He was the greatest warrior of all time. Or maybe we could talk about the connection between the fact that both David and Jesus surrounded themselves with the unlikely candidates of society, the disreputable people. It was said of, of David's mighty men that they were a motley crew that, that people would have rejected and even some of them were criminals. But in like fashion, Jesus surrounded himself with tax collectors and, and criminals, earning him the title of the friend of sinners because the religious people thought he shouldn't be hanging out with those folks. And, and of course, there's the royalty connection. David, at the age of 30, taking the throne of Israel, becoming king, and Jesus, in the same way, coming from the humble beginnings in Bethlehem, arising at the same age of 30 to the position of Messiah, becoming the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. There's an unlimited number of connections between these two. Yet, the one that I couldn't seem to get away from is one that, that preceded David's time as a king, or a warrior, or a national hero, and one that I think points to the character and the nature of Christ, perhaps more so than any of the other aspects of David's life, and that is David's love for sheep. Before David was a king, or a warrior, or a hero, he was but a humble shepherd. The story starts in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, God's not real keen on the king he's chosen. Saul's been a bit of a letdown. And so he sends the prophet Samuel to the city of Bethlehem. Sound familiar? And he says, I want you to find and anoint a new king. Go to the house of Uncle Jesse. Actually, it was just Jesse. Uh, and uh, one of his sons is going to be the next king of Israel. But the problem is God doesn't tell Samuel which of uh, these sons will be anointed king. So, so Samuel walks in the door and he sees Eliab, the, the firstborn, a strong, tall, good-looking guy. And he's like, surely that is the one that God has chosen. But just as about, he's about to anoint this guy king, the Lord speaks to Samuel and he says, this is not the one I've chosen. Man looks at the outside appearance, but God looks at the heart. So don't judge by what you see. Come on, can we just take 10 seconds and 
praise God for that statement right there. How many glad that God doesn't look at the outside appearance, that he's not looking for the most qualified or the person that's got it all together? It doesn't matter how you look, how you dress, how you talk, where you came from. If you are just willing to submit your heart to him, God will use you. Come on, I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful that like Jesus, Robin is the same way. She did not look at the outside appearance. She looked at the heart. <laughs> That's not true. My heart was jacked up back then too. So uh, I don't know what you found in me. So, so Samuel's like, okay, it's not Eliab. Uh, let's go ahead and get the other sons out here. And he has kind of like a catwalk parade take place with all of Jesse's sons. Each of them kind of like walks out. And Samuel's like, is that the one? And God's like, nah, not that guy. And, and he goes through all seven of the sons and God says, no, 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 no. So it gets a little bit weird, and, and, and Samuel's like, hey, I know it's going to be an odd question, but is there any chance you've got, like, more kids that, you know, I, I haven't seen yet? And uh, Jesse goes, well, there is the youngest. He's a shepherd out there in the fields, and, you know, he, I don't think you're going to be interested in him. Translation, like, we don't even like the kid. We sent him out there. I hang out with the kids I like, and we put him out in the fields with the sheep because we don't care so much about him. And surely God wouldn't be interested in this shepherd in a no-name town of Bethlehem. But Samuel says, no, bring him. So David walks in, and as soon as Samuel lays eyes on him, God speaks and says, this is the one. Anoint him king. He is a man after my own heart. Now, David's rise to power is a fascinating story. You can read through the next 14 chapters of 1 Samuel. He kills giants and he avoids uh, execution and, and he even resists the urge to, revenge, to exercise revenge against uh, the king that tries to take him out. It's, it's a great story. But today, for the sake of this sermon, we fast forward the movie to the point where now David is sitting on the throne. He's firmly established his kingdom all is good in the land, and he sits down one day, grabs a harp, as was his custom, and begins to write a little bit of a ditty. And as he's writing, he's recalling his days as a shepherd. He's thinking back from the landscape of his life, of those moments where he was out in the field with those sheep. And as he begins to think of his shepherd past, he, he writes the familiar words of this psalm, Psalm 23, where he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. Remembering his days as a shepherd, David makes this divine connection. He says, as I was for those sheep, so God is for me. What David didn't realize when he penned these words was that a thousand years later, the Messiah himself would borrow Psalm 23 language in John chapter 10, where he would say, I am the good shepherd to the sheep. David didn't recognize that he was prophesying about one that would come, but he was. Meaning that when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, we too can recognize just as he was for David, so Jesus is for us. 
And so what I'd like to do in our remaining moments together is I want to consider the magnitude of that promise. What does it mean for Jesus to be our shepherd? How can we draw this connection between shepherd David and our shepherd Christ? But, but in order to do that, we first must resolve that we are the sheep in this biblical analogy. Uh, the sheeple, if you will. We, here is the church, here is the steeple, open the doors, and she, she, she are the sheeple. There you go. Uh, which might sound comforting at first. Maybe when you think of shepherd Jesus and you as a sheep, you see an image like this one right here. Wait for it, it's coming. Yes, ah, Fabio Jesus with a perm, just holding on to the sheep. Like, that's the Lord, he just holds me. It's so good. And it's true, he's a comforting shepherd. But when the scriptures call us sheep, uh, it is, in, in fact, a, an incredibly revealing and potentially insulting statement. Um, I've offered this quote once before, and I offer it once again. I think it was actually even earlier this year, but it is insightful. It's from a shepherd-turned-pastor, a guy named Lon Solomon. He says this about sheep. Sheep are essentially helpless and stupid animals. They can't provide for their own food like lions or tigers. They can't defend themselves from predators. They got no speed, no strength, no natural defenses like claws or sharp teeth. Can't climb trees, can't dig tunnels, can't swim across rivers. They got no camouflage. Sheep are easily frightened. They're literally scared of their own shadow. <laughs> and to make matters worse, sheep are notoriously stubborn. Even when people try to help them, they resist and they rebel. Above all, Sheep have the propensity to wander and an incredibly poor sense of direction. If a sheep gets lost, it will simply lie down. <laughs> it won't even try to find its way back home. Unless a shepherd goes out and finds it, a lost sheep is a dead sheep. <laughs> Selah. <laughs> Better yet, turn to your neighbor and say, bah, yes. <laughs> That's us people, we're the sheep. The easily frightened, prone to wander, kind of a mess of an animal sheep, that's all of us. And because we are the way that we are, we need a good shepherd. Simply put, we need Jesus. Can I get an amen to that statement right there? We need Jesus. But as I look at this Psalm, there's a couple of very specific needs that we find in Christ. In fact, there's more than just two. This started out as a four-point sermon, and then it turned into a three-point sermon, and then I still had too much content, so it turned into a two-point sermon, which frustrated me, because I'm like, who does a two-point sermon? Everybody knows, three is the standard. What kind of watered-down pastor brings a two-point sermon? But that's all we have time for today, so we're gonna go with two points. Uh, anytime I'm tempted to like cram too much content into a sermon, I remind myself, Biddle, you got 25 years. You got 25 more years to do this, so you got plenty of time to share all the things you think you need to share. So if you just stick around for the next 25 years, we will get to the extended cut version of, of, of this sermon. Actually, we're gonna do one of them at the beginning of next year, so you only gotta do 25 days. Stick around for 25 days and you'll hear it. But the first of them that we find here in Psalm 23 is this, that our shepherd provides direction direction. In this short psalm, there are, are two promises of divine direction, and David mentions them sequentially. He says this, the Lord leads me beside still waters, and he guides me along right paths. Both of, both of those are direction statements. He leads me, and he guides me. Now, now, interestingly enough, if you look at the original language in the Hebrew here, those are two separate words with two definitions and two applications. The, the first of them, uh, the word for leads, is the word nachal, 
Nachal, which means to cause to rest or give peace. Hence the bit about the still waters. To cause to rest or to give peace. So David says part of the way that God leads us is with peace. His divine direction is always accompanied by an inner peace. Regardless of the circumstance, peace doesn't mean that it's easy. Peace doesn't mean that it isn't challenging, that, that it's rational. No, it can be completely irrational, really challenging, make no sense logically, but there will be this settling in your soul if it's God. In other words, if there ain't peace, it's probably not God. Jesus even expounded on this as the, the good shepherd himself, where he said in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not the world's peace, not peace that comes with pleasant circumstances and good health and plenty of money in the bank, but a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that exists even within the framework of negative things. That's the peace that I give to you. Just as a good shepherd would lead their sheep with peace, so the Lord leads us. He says, I will guide you down the right path. I will lead you with my peace. So, so listen very carefully. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, one of the greatest navigational tools that you have been given is peace. As my, my pastor used to say, if you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do, follow the peace. Should I be in this relationship right now? What does the peace say? Should, should I take that opportunity? Do you have peace? Should I make this investment? I don't know. What, what is peace telling you right now? Should I go to the school? Should I take the treatment? Should I move to that city? I, I don't know, but, but peace does. And, and if you follow the peace, then you will end up in the right place. I think far too often we find ourselves in ditches of our own digging because we violate our peace. The Holy Spirit warns us by withholding peace, hoping that the anxiety in our hearts will point us in the right direction to go, okay, I don't feel settled about this, so I probably shouldn't do it. But because we're sheep who are prone to wander, we say, I'm gonna move forward anyway, despite the fact that I don't feel peace. And we end up digging ditches and dying in those ditches because we never followed the peace in the first place. But if we had just stopped for a moment and settled our soul and said, God, what do I feel in the center of my soul about this decision? Then peace would have guided us in the right direction. What does the peace say? But here's the good news. Since we have wandered and we're prone to do that, even when we fail to follow peace, God does not stop leading our lives. Because David goes on to say in the second half of this, yes, he leads us with peace, but he also guides us. Now, now this word guides is interesting. It, it is a much more aggressive term. It, it is less of an inner feeling and more of an external directive. And if, if we could define it in context with a shepherd, I would say it's, it's this. Uh, naha, which means to call out direction. To call out direction. Interesting detail. Um, sheep have notoriously bad eyesight. Uh, they have really good peripheral vision. They can see around them. Their, their eyes are, are kind of like a little line so they can see everything that's around them. But they have horrible depth perception. Uh, literally, they cannot see past their own noses. 
So, so it could be said that a, a sheep has the ability to see everything around it, but it can't see anything ahead of it. There's actually been studies done, which I found fascinating, where they put sheep in an open field filled with food, all the grass they could ever want, and the sheep eats everything around its direct proximity and doesn't realize that there's food beyond where it's at, so it starts to eat the roots, and then eventually it begins to eat the dirt because it doesn't see that there's provision beyond where it's at right now. Tell me that that does not describe the human condition right there. We feast on the dirt around us because we cannot see the green pastures God has set before us. We'll feast on the toxic relationship. We'll feast on the coping mechanisms. We'll feast on the temporary pleasures of sin. All of a sudden we find ourselves eating dirt and we're like, I don't know how I got there. It's because you don't see what the shepherd sees. All you see is what is around you. But, but when a sheep finds itself with a good shepherd, in the pasture, in the proximity of a shepherd that cares about its well-being, it does not have to suffer on account of its poor vision. Because when vision fails, the voice of the shepherd prevails. Oh, come on, you ready to preach with me for a couple minutes? Here we go, go. <laughs> Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep will know my voice. They will come running when I call. They will not be uh, taken by another. They won't, they won't move to the voice and the beat of another's drum, but they will come when I speak, when I call. This is not just like poetic language Jesus is using. This is shepherding language Jesus is using because he understood that his audience would have understood that a sheep left to its own devices is gonna die out there in the field because it cannot see what the shepherd sees. But if it could hear the voice of the shepherd calling from the other side of the field, I got good stuff for you over here. I got good plans for you over here. There's plenty of food if you come this direction. If it hears the voice of the shepherd, it will come running in the path of life. And what is true of the sheeps is true of the peeps. <laughs> Left to our own devices, we will self-destruct. You've tried it, you've experienced it, we all have. We feast on dirt and die. But if we can hear the voice of the shepherd calling, if we can hear the voice of our savior calling from the other side. Hey, I know that you think that's all you have access to over there, but I've got green pastures for you. I've got still waters available to you. Stop feasting on the things of this world and come. I have good plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you an abundant life. If we can hear that voice, then we'll find ourselves running in the right direction. And here's the beauty of that promise. It's not subjective. You don't have to wonder whether or not you have the ability to hear God. If you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, Jesus said it objectively. You will know my voice. You will know what I sound like. You won't walk around in confusion and disillusionment. You will have clarity about every single step. This is the way you should go. Walk in it. And if you're wondering what the voice of the shepherd sounds like, look no further than this book right here because he always speaks in alignment with and according to his word. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. There is chapter and verse for every situation you find yourself in. You cannot be biblically illiterate and hear the voice of God. You need to know the scriptures. You need to know what he says about your life because if you can hear this, 
then you can hear him. And I got a lot more I'd love to say about that, but we would only make it through one point. So I have to move on. He offers direction, 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 direction. But secondly, in this text, David reminds us that there is yet another aspect of this shepherd-sheep relationship we need to be aware of. And that is, in addition to direction, he offers us protection. Protection. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. Now, this is probably the most recognizable portion of this scripture. Many have memorized it, seen it in movies, you've heard it in funerals. Even Coolio said it in Gangster's Paradise. We all know this part of the psalm. And I think the reason that this is the most popular portion of the psalm is because it uniquely provides comfort in times of loss. People suffer the loss of a loved one or they experience the, the, the shadow of death, as, as some would call it, they, they find comfort in, in this scripture. And rightfully so, because the, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he does comfort those who mourn. That is a promise of scripture. But, but when David wrote this line, I don't think he had the loss of a loved one in mind. Rather, I think that David was referring to the unique protection that only a shepherd could provide for their sheep. So, let me explain. This, despite what Coolio said, um, this valley of the shadow of death, it's not some like analogy. It was a, a literal place in biblical times. It was a place located between Jerusalem and Jericho, a, a common road that was traveled. And it was a, a, a valley with rock walls on either side and there were caves hewn into the side of these rock walls. And within these caves, there was often predators lurking, wolves or or, or foxes, and they were waiting above as they watched their potential prey walk below so that they could strike. And in fact, uh, some scholars believe that this is the valley Jesus is referring to in the parable of the Good Samaritan where the Gentile is beaten within an inch of his life and left on the side of the road by thieves because apparently thieves also hid out in these caves and waited for passerbys so that they could rob them and leave them there to die. And when you realize that this is a literal place, you begin to understand the fear that David's speaking about here. A shepherd walking sheep through that valley, there's, there's a, a, an anxiety that comes up in your heart because you don't know what's lurking in those caves. And, and yet David says, when I go through this valley with the sheep, I'm not concerned because I know that a good shepherd protects his sheep. And the reason David knew this is because David did this. Just as he's claiming the Lord will do for him, he did for his very own sheep. Uh, back in earlier days of his life, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, we find David walking up to the battlefield. His brothers had been um, uh, enlisted in Saul's army, and uh, they were coming up against the Philistines, a common enemy at the time. And uh, David walks up to the battlefield to bring some supplies to his brother, uh, brothers. And uh, as he comes up, this giant from the Philistines, Goliath, a nine-foot-tall dude, uh, he's yelling and, 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 and threatening all of the, the, Jewish, the Jewish army. And uh, David kind of gets this righteous anger on the inside of him when he sees Goliath defying God and defying the, the armies of God. And so he goes over, 
to King Saul and, and he offers himself up. He says, let me go fight the guy. And, and Saul looks at David and he kind of chuckles. He's like, dude, <laughs> no, nah, you're a pipsqueak. You'll get eaten alive out there if I let you go out on the battlefield. But, but look at what shepherd David says to the king when he tries to turn him down in 1 Samuel 17, 34. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant has kept watch over his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it, struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, I struck it, and I killed it. You think this Philistine's a problem for me? I've taken out bears, bruh. I can handle this dude. What David knew was that a good shepherd is willing to do whatever it takes to protect his sheep. He's like, a good shepherd won't even let one sheep out of its care but it will chase down a bear or a lion or whatever's trying to take the sheep out of the fold and he will kill it right there on the spot. And so years later when David writes Psalm 23 and he talks about this steadiness, this stillness in his heart as he goes through the dark valley, he can say this because he's done it himself. He knows the heart of a shepherd. But he doesn't just tell us that God will protect us. He also tells us exactly how God protects us. He says, your rod and your staff, they protect and they comfort me. Now, I have a confession. Um, this was the part of the sermon where I had some props prepared for today, as I normally do. But Amazon failed me this week. <laughs> it's the time of year. They got a lot going on right now. And uh, I ordered a shepherd's staff to kind of display how this works. And instead, they sent me a shepherd's costume. And... <laughs> I debated wearing it, but I thought that might be distracting while I was trying to, to preach the word. So you're gonna have to use your imagination a little bit with me here as we kind of go through these two instruments that a shepherd would have uh, with them out in the fields. Uh, the first thing he says, he says, your, your rod, it protects me. Now the rod was a, a small wooden club-like uh, bat and there were nails driven through the front of it, kind of like, you know, you've seen those in the old movies, like a little club with spikes on the end. And it was obviously used for offense. Anytime the shepherd saw a lion, tiger, bear, oh my, trying to take the sheep, it would use this rod to defend the sheep. This is what David talks about. Anytime a lion or a bear tried to take a sheep from me, I chased that thing down, I grabbed it by the beard, and I beat it to death. So the sheep were saved by wood and nails. And in the same way, you have been saved by some wood and some nails. Isaiah chapter 11 calls Jesus the rod of Jesse because he was the one who was nailed to a cross and defeated all the predators and all the enemies that ever want to take out the sheep in this life. So you've been protected by the rod. But then he goes on to say that the staff of the shepherd also offered some unique protection. Now the staff is what we've all pictured, right? The, it's got the hook on the end of it, standing out there in the field. And even modern day shepherds use this tool to protect their sheep. Um, this was not a weapon used against predators, but it was a tool used to bring the sheep back in if they started to wander. Because sheep are not the most intelligent creatures, they can wander off towards the edge of a cliff and because they can't see in front of their nose, they could fall off without even realizing it. Or because they can't see the predator out in the distance, they can end up walking in the direction of danger without even recognizing that their life is 
is at risk. And so a good shepherd will keep watch over his sheep. And if they begin to see even one sheep stray, they grab that staff, they wrap it gently around the neck of the sheep, and they pull that sheep back into the fold. And in the same way, you have a good shepherd that is not content to see you walk away and hope that one day you come back. But even when you begin to wander, when you think about wandering, he reaches out his arm and he begins to gently draw you back to himself. Sometimes he does it with people, other sheep in the flock. Sometimes he does it with conviction. But though his methods vary, it is all his hand pulling you back, making sure that you don't wander off too far, recognizing you belong in this fold. There's protection here. And some of you are nodding your head as I say this because you've experienced it before. You know exactly what it's like to have the shepherd bring you back when you try to drift away. When that relationship tried to take you, when offense tried to take you, when shame tried to take you out, he said, no, 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 son. No, 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 daughter. I'm grabbing you by your neck gently and I'm bringing you back to the fold where you belong. As we sang about him a moment ago, he's not the shepherd content with 99 sheep when there's one out there in the wilderness, but he will chase you down, light up every shadow, climb up every mountain, do everything within his power to bring you back where you belong. Your rod and your staff, they protect and they comfort me. But, but there is a third aspect of this protection that we may not see on the surface, but if we slow down and read this scripture, we recognize it is perhaps one of the greatest forms of protection we need. Because before David tells us that the rod and the staff provide this kind of protection, he, he makes this famous statement, and, and with this I'll invite the worship team to come as we prepare to close, but he says this. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me. The rod provides protection against an imposing predator. The staff provides protection against a wandering sheep. But there is only one thing that can protect us from the fear that's found in the valley. And that is the presence of a good shepherd. He says, I won't be afraid because you are with me. I don't have to be afraid because someone greater than what I'm fearing is with me. Someone who will take out a club if necessary, who will pull me back if necessary, is standing by my side so I don't have to be afraid. The dictionary defines fear as an emotional response to a perceived threat, meaning I think something bad might happen, so I become anxious, I panic, I fear. It seems rational. But scripture defines fear differently. Scripture calls fear a spirit. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. 
Fear is not just an emotional response, it's a spirit. And if fear is a spirit, then we cannot presume to fight it with natural means. There's no club, there's no staff, there's no medication, there's no amount of counseling sessions. Those things are great and they serve their purpose. But if you want to get to the root of fear, you need to fight it in the spirit. And the spiritual weapon that we have been given to fight against anxiety and panic and fear is not a rod, it's not a staff, it is an awareness of the fact that you serve Emmanuel, the God that is with you in every single valley, every moment of every day. He's with you and He is in you. 365 times in command form, the Bible says, do not be afraid. One for every day of the year if you're calculating. <laughs> I wonder why. Because we're prone to it, we're given to it. But in virtually every single one of those commands, the follow-up line is, because I am with you. Don't be afraid because I'm the God that stands by your side. I'm the God that sticks closer than a friend. I'm the God that is closer than your skin. You got no reason to be afraid because I'm greater than the thing you're panicked about. And as long as I am with you, it's not gonna take you out. So, so don't be afraid. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And I can think of no better way to conclude this, this sermon than to simply just remind the flock. Your shepherd is with you. I know that like, it can feel at times like you are trying to tackle things on your own, but you are never on your own. Your good shepherd is with you. And if you will draw near to him today, if you feel at a distance, the promise of scripture is that he will draw near to you and you can leave with some fresh confidence that will expel all fear because he's right by your side. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these promises. Thank you for the, um, the relationship that you have used as an analogy to describe the way you are to us as a shepherd is to sheep, so you are to your people. And Lord, I thank you that we don't have to make decisions on our own because you'll speak. I thank you that you provide protection in every season, that whether we're in valleys or on mountaintops, you, you promise to be near. And especially this time of year where things can feel isolating and there's a lot of feelings that, that people feel, we just ask for a unique sense of your nearness for every single one of us. May we know the presence of God in these days. And before we conclude this morning, maybe as we're going through this content and even considering the idea of a flock of sheep and a shepherd, maybe there's some that would say, I've wandered off, I'm at a distance, or I've never been a part of this relationship with the shepherd that you're speaking of. Uh, we do this every single week at the Father's house, the conclusion of the service. We make time for those that are at a distance to come close to the shepherd. And, and if today you're far from God and you don't wanna stay that way, I invite you to come back, come to the flock, come to the good shepherd, hear his voice calling to you. It's not the voice of a pastor being amplified over a microphone, it's the voice of the shepherd calling to the sheep that belong in his flock, come home today, come home. And the way we do that here is simple. I wanna pray a very simple prayer of commitment. If you're far from God, you can pray that prayer along with me. But before we pray, no one's looking around. If that's you today, if that describes where you're at, would you just slip up your hand and say, Tim, I need to pray that prayer with you this morning. I need to come home to Jesus. If that's you, just, just look at me and raise your hand. Thank you, bro, got you right there. 
Hallelujah. Yeah, got you. Cool. Thank you, man. Awesome. Very cool. All right, for all of those making this decision as a community, we're gonna, we're gonna pray out loud so they don't feel alone. Uh, repeat after me. Everyone say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you, to be your disciple and walk in your ways. Forgive me of my sins and welcome me into your family. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, let's celebrate with all those making this decision today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.